I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Trent. And this is Text Track. Engage. So welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 93rd installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And today we are talking about Star Trek Picard, season one, episode three, the end is the beginning. This is the smoking section episode. Yeah. <laughs> the, the vaping episode. Yeah, we, we might have a... Forever, it's going to be known yeah. as that. Might the have a, is that the, the one with the triples? Is that the one with the vaping? The, the vape heard around the world. Some, some on-screen vape pen action, yeah. some on-screen cigar smoking action. Yeah. yeah. Which I like to believe that's a Cuban cigar. Not but, since uh, David Bowie's wife... Uh, um, Lit up in, uh, what was that, uh, Star Trek 6? Yeah, Mardia. Uh, her her and, and Kirk, uh, Puff Puff Passin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is off to a weird start. Uh, it is. It's should we, downhill uh, from here. <laughs> should, should we reintroduce uh, our good buddy, Trenton? Yes. So we have uh, Trent joining us oh. again, uh, who you might recognize from some previous Star Trek podcasts, or some previous text track podcast, I should say. Yep. Yep. And uh, I am pleased to have Trent here to finally get some of his thoughts on Star Trek Picard. So, uh, Trent, before we delve into the episode, what, what are your thoughts on the show so far, three episodes in? I am loving it. Um, I'm having an absolute blast watching the show. Um, I was not really big into Discovery at this point. I think Discovery kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. As Trek tends to do. As Trek tends to do. But this feels like one of the... Uh, what it, it feels like they have an idea of what they want to do and they're doing a good job of doing it. They're executing what they want to do well, uh, particularly in this first little three-episode act one, I guess, of the season. Um, I think we're off to a, a great start of uh, having introduced interesting characters that are going to hopefully go do interesting shit. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm digging it so far. You know, they I guess at the after show Ready Room, they... Uh... Uh, some, somebody related an anecdote about how, like, when when Patrick Stewart is on the set, it's uh, I don't know if this was Jonathan Frakes or mentioned in passing, but basically it's like no, as like as if no time has passed between when they yeah. shot this and TNG. Like, I'm sure I, I feel like part of that has to be just like the presence he brings to it, his professionalism, and how well he knows that character. Yeah, I think that's the 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 last thing you said nailed that he just does such great character work on the show that it, it feels like he is. Picard. He's not playing Picard. He's it's not Patrick Stewart we're looking at. It almost feels like this yeah. is this is the this is Picard we're watching. Yeah. He and has so such I, a handle on that character. Exactly, yeah. So mm. I've I've been digging it. It's 
no one can accuse the show of being perfect, I think, but um, it's it's doing everything it needs to do, I think. Nice. Now, uh, you, you've watched a lot of Star Trek. I know you've seen uh, all of the original series, or at least Most 90% of it. Yeah. Of it. Uh, all of TNG, all of DS9. You're working on Voyager now. Um, but I know that, unlike me and Dave... You also watch a huge amount of just like modern TV. You you watch yeah. you watch more shows than me and Dave combined. Probably which, yeah. which isn't hard to do. That's probably like most most. Well, people you just rewatch but... Star Trek over and over again. So yeah, well yeah, if you count that, I probably watch more TV than Dave yeah. or anyone. But uh, as a guy who I know like watches a lot of the what, what is commonly referred to as the golden age or like the prestige age of television. Uh, if you take, like, the nostalgia away, if you take your love of TNG away, uh, how do you think, like, the quality of the show holds up compared to some of the other, like, hot things now? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I would say that it's, it's, it's up there with just about anything else that's on Netflix right now, at least. Um, anything else I can think of that's on like Hulu? What about HBO? Can it compete? HBO, with I mean, what's HBO? on HBO right now? Uh, like, um, I don't know. They had uh, Westworld, I guess, is still. Yeah, on there. I didn't watch the second season of that. They're adapting some Stephen King story. I heard uh, is good. Watchmen is on there right now, and yeah, Watchmen was good. was really yeah, good. Well, that, that finished. Yeah, that's done. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's recent. It's recent. Yeah, yeah, it's recent. So I think it's it's good prestige TV. Um, that kind of prestige format where everything costs a million dollars and everything. <laughs> Thing is ultra serialized. Uh, you're not you're not groaning at any of the acting and thinking, oh, that's kind of old school acting vibe. No, or... not really. I mean, if anything, I, what me and Fathery were talking about recently, you know, that we kind of miss the old, you know, non prestige Star Trek <laughs> where yeah, you get a story and it's it starts Captain's Log Stardate. Uh, we're going into yeah. a spatial anomaly bullshit, right? And it ends with you know the Enterprise. Warping off into the distance. Yeah. Just those little self-contained stories. But, I mean, if, given what modern TV is right now, which is prestige, quality, I hate that word, but that's what is... Serialization. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think what you guys said, I think last week or so, that it feels like a very natural continuation of where TNG left off. Uh, feels fresh. It doesn't need to be TNG. It shouldn't be TNG. Uh, but it feels like a really fresh continuation of, you know, the where we left this character off in terms of the show, I guess. So, Well, I'm glad to hear that it holds up to someone who is a bit of a TV snob. I, I mean, someone who's like a bit of like a, a big modern no, a TV snob. watcher. Yeah, so. Someone who watches shows that don't have phasers in them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is weird to me. But um, So we'll go ahead and talk about this episode specifically. Like you mentioned, this was kind of the capper on their three-part premiere this is what they showed at the uh the actual official uh hollywood premiere and um i think if we count like you know encounter at far point as, as like this big two-hour premiere or emissary is a two-hour premiere for ds9 this is picard gets kind of a, a three-hour premiere yeah or, uh, it took him three hours to step on the gas or yeah. a two hour and 15 15- yeah it wouldn't be three hours it'd be two hours and 15 minutes if you pay for cbs all access premium with no commercials <laughs> Uh, if not, it's a three-hour premiere. Gosh, I'm so sick of those fucking Geico commercials. I need to just pony up the extra dollar. That's what I do. I, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> um, and again, this episode was directed by Hanalee um, Culpepper. And it was written by Michael Chabon and Akiva Goldsman. Who have kind of been behind uh, most of the show so far. So They've got some good scripting going on. 
Uh, do you think I heard some people a little critical of some of the dialogue really? in this episode? You know, like, uh, my favorite, some of my, uh, you know, I always feel like Star Trek flirts with kind of being larger than life. And that can, that can strike people as, as odd because it's not how we typically talk, you know, uh, it's a little melodramatic. But, like, uh, you know, I feel like the, the interaction, I think, especially between Picard and, was it Zabon and uh, Laris? Yes. Did I say him? And, uh, and a lot of the other, the other characters... Uh, I think it only occasionally degenerates into something a little bit tropey. I think last week it got a little bit tropey with some of the, uh, you know, co-conspirator brother and sister team. Um, when um, Rafi came out with her with her shotgun and she's like, "I thought I told you never to show your yeah, face." I could I could do without. I, I I don't want anyone else to greet Picard by saying, "You've got a lot of nerve showing." <laughs> like I could, I, we've done that a couple times now. Yeah. The, the might fucking be a, hubris might be a you. trope that needs to be retired. In yeah, general, yeah. But, but by and large, I yeah. feel like there's like the, the the interaction between the characters is very much at the heart of the show, um, and and that it's been pretty strong. I don't know. Okay, and we'll, we'll get more into this episode one, of course, as we go along. Yeah, uh, before we dive into the specifics, I just would like to say that the highlights of this episode for me were the introduction of Chris Rios. Absolutely, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm really eager to see more of this character, to the point where I was a little disappointed in getting to know Raffi Musiker, the other regular they introduced in here, because I didn't think that they they didn't really impress me with her as much as they did with Chris Rios. I'm hoping that she grows on me over time. But the other big highlight was the raid on the Chateau, which last yeah. week I said I, I want to see this, and yeah. I wanted to see Loris and Zaban kick ass, have some, some Tal Shiar Romulan badasses, and we got that. But uh, do y'all want to go ahead and and uh, get serious about this? And, uh, sure. Yeah, this, the, the story summed up real quickly... Yeah, let's hit the plot stuff. To give the uh, the the short answer, like Doctor Girardi gave Picard, yep, is Picard reunites with an uh, old Starfleet coworker, yeah, colleague, <laughs> colleague, uh, former his former first officer. Although I don't think they've said it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, they haven't referred to her as the EXO, but that's how we know her from the the Prelude comic. But he reunites with her. There's a lot of tension. They don't really get along anymore after the. Hobus star went Nova, but she does help him out, get some pilot so Picard can finally go off world and look for Dodge. And we get the new character, Chris Rios, and we get a ship. And Agnes Gerardi is going to tag along. And then on the Borg cube, the mysteries surrounding Soji thicken as we're reintroduced to a TNG recurring character. A Borg named Hugh. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> kind of like a boy named Sue. <laughs> he's only had... Was he actually only in two or three he episodes two, total? He was in two, yeah. yeah. He's in iBorg and he's in Descent Part 2, but not right. in Descent Part 1. Right. Let's let's uh, break this down a little bit more and kick things off how the episode starts with that flashback to Picard and Raffi immediately after the... Attack on Mars at uh, Starfleet HQ. Mm-hmm. Did they de-age Patrick Stewart for that scene? He looks less liver spotty. I, I assume can't that tell they did. If it was just the lighting or what, right? Either that or they just turned. You know, yeah, they just like turned up the the brightness on it. Yeah, so, so you couldn't. Well. <laughs> he did look a little de-aged. Too. Yeah, they, they have the budget to do that because we know mm-hmm. that they did that with uh, Brent Spiner yeah. as Data. 
Yeah. He looked better in the show than he did in the trailers. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if they did it here with Patrick Stewart or if it was just something that they were able to do with makeup or what. Yeah. But uh, he, he looked good. It was good seeing him in the uniform again. Yeah. Even though it was a brand new uniform we've never seen before. We got to see him in that uniform just in time to quit Starfleet. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, what, what you see is basically him walking out of what was his um, sort of la- uh, a last push to uh, for the Romulan evacuation uh, with apparently Starfleet really turning up their nose at it. Uh, they were uh, censor outlawed, uh, and that was going to be one of the key aspects of the plan, right? Yeah, because they had... What, they just needed the manpower. Right? Yeah, to, to get these 100,000 warp ferries over yeah. to Romulan space and yeah. back. And this is where we learned that Raffi had a theory back then that uh, the Romulan Tal Shiar might have been behind the, the attack on Mars and the, the synth uprising. They, she called it bullshit when Picard said that it was like a coding error. Right. Which, uh, a fatal coding yeah. error or something yeah. like that. Well, that's a hell of a fucking coding error. <laughs> I mean, like, these programmers need to be held a little bit more accountable. <laughs> it must have been programmed by the same people that made the, uh, the <laughs> app to count votes in the, in the Iowa caucus. Topical. <laughs> But yeah, the um, we, we we see Picard referred to as JL. Yeah, good old, that's good old new. JL. I don't. I'm not. I haven't heard that before. But yeah, that is a level of familiarity <laughs> that, that you nobody. Know what, that he has to do with nobody. But we know that this takes place after what would have been his time on the Enterprise. Yeah, and it, you know, since the the whole arc that he had there was kind of growing a little bit more familial with the crew, especially by the final episode. Uh, I can see that he would now only that after that yeah. tolerate it. So it does actually sort of fit his character arc because they all called him Captain, except ex- except for Doctor Crusher, who called mm-hmm. him John Luke. Right? Nobody else got away with that. What if Worf did? Jail, <laughs> jail. <laughs> you are without honor. <laughs> if you were any other man, I would kill you, Jail. <laughs> um. Now here's something. He comes out and he tells uh, he tells Rafi that uh, ultimately she gets out of him that he made this pitch and he said you know we either push forward or I quit and they 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 you take my resignation they take it. She the, the quick indicator is that she gets fired because of his dramatic resignation. Yeah. But do we think that that would really happen? That she uh, would get I, fired. I think like there's that? more to that because she was suspicious of not only the Tal Shiar, That's but she, true, yeah. she also said that there's no way that this could have happened without a high-ranking uh, Starfleet official being complicit in it. So they might have uh, pushed her off to the side to get rid of her because kind of drum out this conspiracy yeah. theorist. And mm-hmm. and I think they didn't actually full-on fire her, but she said like they revoked her security clearance. They must have like given her some type of like demotion or like. Some type of like lame assignment that wasn't what she wanted to do, and and I kind of like didn't buy the idea that this would make someone, especially in this utopia of the twenty fourth century, mm-hmm. so depressed that they've become a drunk out in their trailer house in the middle of the <laughs> desert. She said Picard but, didn't visit. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I was talking about this with uh, with my my girlfriend who I I watched Star Trek with, and one of the things that she pointed out to me, I guess being like a little bit more of an ambitious person or maybe a little bit more career oriented person than I am, is that. You know, for a lot of people, if they have like a driving passion where like they're they're doing like their dream job, mm-hmm. if that gets like taken away or diminished or anything, it can be very soul crushing. Yeah, right. It's like the house were, of cards crashes down. No, Picard just went off to go write his memoirs. I think she said. I mean, he he had already been to the top of the, the you know the mountaintop, <laughs> the 
admiral, so he was just, he was able to walk away, but she was still climbing up. So. Right, he was literally kind of at retirement age, yeah. so him grandstanding yeah. is not that big a risk for him. Yeah. Um, for her, it's, it's literally like the rest of her life is yeah. turned upside down. Right. Um, I did see, like, I think early on, uh, the, the, there was like a review from Entertainment Weekly floating around that was a pretty negative review of this uh, these first three episodes. And I believe, I only skimmed it because I I, I didn't want to accidentally, I didn't really realize it was going to like be so revealing but they i think they felt that that thing about the complicity of, of starfleet suggested some kind of 9-11 was an inside job i don't know about that thing. i mean i didn't get that vibe from it at all really i mean i the way i saw it was more of a i mean it, it is a bit heavy-handed in the cold open in this episode when it's like i never thought this you know, they would give in to fear in the way right. that they did. So obviously what we're talking yeah. about is another particular refugee the, crisis that is kind of going right. on here. And I think that's appropriate but, to have some of those parallels. I, yeah. don't, I don't see the conspiracy theory connection as being real definitive. But, right. I mean, like, the the point of there being, like, this big attack that was devastating to uh, people who are traditionally presented in a very privileged Role with the Federation. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, our our good friend Captain Cisco from Deep Space Nine had like this really cool line one time where he says, "It's easy to be a saint in paradise, right? And you know, it's easy for people on Earth to be so perfect and everything, but if they get punched in the face and get a bloody nose, they might be uh, more sensitive to that, and that would kind of uh, explain why the the Federation struggled with." Uh, dealing with the Romulan refugee during a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. And those same types of fears are echoed in uh, uh, the United States and also like in Europe where we did have a terrorist attack which inspired a lot of xenophobia and that two decades later we're still getting the ramifications of that where people have, have hijacked that, that fear and they've used, used it to turn it against very vulnerable people, like like refugees, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and I, I think it's appropriate for for. I know some of y'all hate politics being in Star Trek, well, but I bet there's well, not too many of our listeners that feel that. Yeah, way, we, to we be honest. Grow up, <laughs> grow up, <laughs> listeners. We did a good job. Uh, Easy trick. <laughs> he came back for one episode. And he's, he's ready to take him apart. I, I think I think we've already like kind of trimmed that fat yeah. long ago. Yeah. Well, you know what is interesting? It'll be interesting to see what their overall perspective on Romulans are, uh, because for clearly they're they're you know we've seen Romulans we really like on the show Zaban and Laris, mm -hmm. but um, but there's there's Romulan duplicity going on here. Yeah. The Tal, there's Tal Shiar. Romulan's still gonna Romulan. Romulan's yep. still gonna Romulan, and you know honestly I wouldn't have it any other way. I need my Romulans yeah. to be. Uh, sly, and they keep They're on adding. Baddies. Yeah. They keep on adding fun stuff to their mythology. The thing in this, like, I don't know, maybe this is a little too far, but the thing about them having like false front doors and stuff like that, and you have to like go in through like this. Well, that just door. seems inconvenient. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but well, it's not like in traditional homes. So that yeah. might not be every Romulan home, yeah. right? But I, I kind of liked it though. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> back to to Rappy Musker. Uh, her chilling at her trailer house out in the desert, mm -hmm. and Picard uh, having to give her the wine just to be able to sit on her porch and have a conversation with her. Yep. Um, how, how do y'all feel about, like, that introduction to the character? Uh, you know, I, I liked seeing this character that was a sort of uh, an angry, vulnerable character. Um, it seems the same way that uh, Voyager had a few characters that were, like, meant to be that person, like Tom Paris. I feel like they're running with it a bit more in this, that the drama's a little bit, not a little bit, a lot stronger than it was where Tom Paris almost kind of instantly acclimated. He didn't seem like a guy who was really pissed. Hey, 
in season one of Voyager, Tom Paris told this lady that was smoking yeah. that, well, my people gave that up centuries ago. <laughs> Did he really? Um, but he would not have stood for her, uh, what, what do they call it, snake? Snake leaf. Yeah, snake yeah. leaf is apparently not, what she's been. He's not going to yeah. be vaping snake leaf. Nope. <laughs> Talk to your kids about it. That, just to get political again, which I guess is what we're going to have to turn to after Trump outlaws all of the all of the vape, <laughs> all, all all of our sweet sweet vape. But but anyway, I broadly I, I liked her character being this this kind of damaged person, and and I liked uh, I especially kind of liked that Picard was like kind of turned turned off his uh, debate mode for that one and went into listener mode, and I thought that was kind of. That was that was cool and telling of him. There's something that Patrick Stewart has said about playing the character of playing Picard, and I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, playing Picard made Patrick Stewart a better listener in real life because there's so yeah. many scenes where he's asking his crew for advice, and he kind of weighs all these different uh, opinions and uh, examinations of the situation, and then gives the decision on what to do. And that I try to do that after I heard Patrick Stewart said that. I, I don't think I'm. Uh, a great listener by any means, but I do try to like, what if I just like ask everyone what they're thinking and then use that to like formulate what uh, my suggestion is going to be. And it's not, a, you can have worse role models. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's not a bad way to, to tackle situations. Did, where did you land on uh, Rafi as a, as a, as her introduction? Yeah. I liked her character. The introduction seemed a little bit, like I said, tropey, I guess mm-hmm. the greeting him with a phaser pointed at him yeah. on the, the, front lawn was a little uh, it didn't really work for me I think um, as the scene kind of progressed and developed and especially when we learned more about you know we got the the flashback to 14 years earlier we got to see how this relationship kind of deteriorated I mm-hmm. guess it, it started to work a little bit more for me it, it does seem that she goes very quickly from you know, get out of here, get out of here too. By the way, here's Rios. And by the way, I'm coming with you. Maybe, a, a, a you know, I didn't quite buy that, but um, I'm curious to see where they take the character given where, where they, you know, where, where it's at right now, I guess. I, so. I guess one of the things that, that bothered me was it felt a lot of like telling and not showing, mm-hmm. you know, and television you want to show, not tell, but there's like, Telling us how miserable she is, and she says, uh, "I'm out here in the trailer park, and you're in your <laughs> your nice, beautiful chateau mansion that I saw on the news." And Picard is like, "Oh, you see things that no one else sees," and they're just like like telling us all this stuff about yeah, her. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. And we see a little right. bit of that more later in the episode. I'm hoping that as we see more and more of this, I'll come to really value this character. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. She said that she has she had evidence of the. Uh, Tal Shiar uh, Starfleet connection, which I don't know. She almost makes it sound like she never showed it to Picard, and I would think if something that serious, he would be like, "Well, could you show it to me?" Um, so I'll be curious to see how they, how they, how, how that plays into it, and whether he did, you know, whether he's he's really aware of it. But yeah, I think uh, we we see her do we we do see her do some legwork here, and I guess one of the more show uh, but don't tell scenes was when he. Sensor information on uh, like uh, what the synths or something. Um, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Maddox. Maddox. Or Bruce Maddox. Yeah, she's she's, she's tracking Maddox down. Picard mm-hmm. knows he has to find Maddox to find Dodge's sister. Yeah, and do, I don't know if we do we actually see what it is she does that allows him to track down where he is, or is it just kind of like that was my sense was she has yeah. a lot of points into Google Foo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I, I did, by the way, I like that scene, though, because Picard is like, I'm sending you, he's like, you're looking up the information, aren't you? And she's like, no. And uh, obviously yeah, she's she is. sitting there, yeah. And Picard is like, well, I'm sending you some more to help you out. He's like, carry on. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice to see him sort of asserting a little bit of old yeah. school Picard initiative. They know each other and they have that rapport. Because mm-hmm. it reminded me of earlier in the episode when she says, yeah, next time you're going to go on a, this crazy secret mission like this, maybe not tell the, the yeah. CNC of Starfleet. Very legitimate criticism. Yep. What is like Picard did have a little bit of fucking hubris, where yeah. you know going back to fourteen years ago, and he's like, "If you're not going to do what I want to do, I'm going to resign." And they're like, "Well, hand us your badge and phaser." Yeah. yeah. And then here he was like, "I was going to walk into the CNC's office and ask for a, a ship," and she told him to fuck off. I feel like I kind of want to know why Picard didn't call for fourteen years because it sounded like he was about to start explaining that, and then he got interrupted. Oh, that's like why? Like because I feel like that's not a very Picard thing to do to well, just like throw your your. He's aloof though. Yeah, he like even with the with the character growth he had in Next Gen, I could see him as a guy, and we talked about this I think before the show debuted. Who might have fallen into kind of a melancholy, lonely, older man uh, yeah. state where he's like, I'm just going to drink my wine. I'm upset over all the, the way things pan, panned out. I need to go talk to her. Uh, maybe I'll have some wine instead and think mm-hmm. about things and be sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, instead of talking about Picard being sad, let's talk about him <laughs> beaming onto uh, the ship, which I don't think they name, but we know from uh, yeah. promotional materials, the La Serena, which is uh, Spanish for siren. Or a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And we meet Chris Rios, who has a really cool mermaid tattoo on his arm. Right. Uh, and is a sexy man. Yeah. <laughs> Picard arrived just in time for him to be shirtless and sexy. Yeah. Uh, he's got like he's also got a giant chunk of shrapnel sticking in his shoulder. So you so know he, that he's hardcore. Yeah. He's hardcore. He's a man of action. He's sm- he lights up a cigar right in that scene. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like having a conversation while his... Uh, emergency medical hologram clearly modeled on himself. Some why, if you're that good looking, why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know? that's right. He's a super narcissist too. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So he's just talking to Picard while this is like he's being medicaled up, uh, and kicking back some uh, agua dente. Yep. Uh, and I guess this would be a case of showing and not telling. We learn a lot about him very, by this very quick action, which thing. is why I liked his introduction more was, than Raffi's. That's what I was going to say, is that it, it's a very good counterpoint to how they did Raffi, I think, yeah. because we learn so much so quick, and it's so effective. Uh, it just kind of looked better yeah. in comparison to the Raffi kind of rollout, I guess. I mean, arguably but, his thing was a little tropey as well, that's, yeah, that's but it's fair, like, it's like but, a pleasant trope thing. Yeah. Like, I think it's... it's I think we all like outlaw captains. You yeah, know? It's, it's you can't go too wrong with. It. I did worry that this felt a little bit too much like the other Star franchise, and we got like some Han Solo yeah. vibes here. <laughs> but the idea of like this character who I guess lives alone on his ship and has these holograms modeled after himself, it hammers in the idea that he is lonely, that he is isolated. That's just him and himself. Giving the actor these different accents for the different holograms might come off as a little silly, but I think that that was fun, and it, it's probably easier... Star Trek needs some fun. Yeah. D- Dave, Dave, one thing that you've mentioned before, that when you run your role-playing games, mm-hmm. that it helps you to get in character for different characters you have to, to right. play as, as If they as have the an accent master. or some particular way of speaking yeah. or a gravelly voice just, or whatever. You, you yeah. give them different voices. I figured it was yeah. so the audience could tell which was which. That too. Yeah, so I it, think that it was just kind of a convenient without... Right. It, it's me, the emergency medical I mean, I guess hologram. they could have had like a very clear, like, one is yeah. wearing like a doctor's, you know, whites or mm-hmm. something like that, but... Um, 
But yeah, I think they're like, this is kind of a more fun, playful yeah. way to do it. Um, yeah, I was pretty on board that. Yeah. Um, now, what was this book? Oh, right. You you looked it up? Or... Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I looked it up. I, I Googled it very, very quickly, and I've forgotten everything I've read about it since <laughs> You then. said it was about death. Yeah, it was about death. It was a, a f- philosophical book about death. Do you remember what it was called, Fathery? Uh, was it called Tragic Sense of Life, I think? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so you, Trenton, you were the one who looked it up. You did the research. Yeah, research. I googled it really quickly, but no, I mean it's a book by a philosopher, um, and just talking about the the hopelessness of life without an afterlife. How you give into um, not kind of a nihilistic or you know I probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but outlook well, I mean, unless you believe in an afterlife, basically. That's interesting. I mean, certainly he's a guy who seems like he's got that tarnished uh, sense. Uh, you know, he's that a lot of those kind of roguish captains do. Yeah, uh, that yeah. he's a he's a bit of a fallen guy. He's he's probably is a bit nihilistic. Uh, he mentioned this interesting. The other thing this indicates is just that he's a he's a reader. Um, mm-hmm. He's he had read Picard's book, yeah. which we presume is some kind of stuffy history. Yeah, yeah. Because, because Picard has become a historian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that's an interesting, uh, interesting approach. He's rakish, but also learned. Well, he's ex Starfleet, and we know. Anyone who went to Starfleet Academy read damn near every piece of literature ever of and can quote all of it off the top of their head yeah. anytime it's convenient to have that dialogue on a screen. <laughs> Has he read the books of Dixon Hill? Um, <laughs> who hasn't? Uh, all of us have, right? <laughs> I mean. well, well, we also learned that he was uh, an executive officer on a yeah. ship and that he, right. he feels guilt after his captain died. Well, does Picard say that? He, he's read up on him or something? No, Picard could tell he was... Star- he said he could smell the Starfleet right, on him. He intuited right, yeah. him because he's... And this is interesting for a guy who... Like, a lot of times, like, on, on Firefly, Mal's ship was kind of, like, messy. But he said this guy... This ship is all squared mm-hmm. away. Yeah, everything uh, stowed like it needs to be. Yeah, and so that, that's kind of an interesting... I don't... I'm not used to particularly seeing that, that part of it. Um, but he's clearly parted ways with them. You can take the boy out of Starfleet, but you can't <laughs> take the Starfleet out of the boy. So. Um, that they, there was like a weird medical tricorder in that in that kind of sequence. Did anyone else catch that? It almost looked like a sonic screwdriver. Was that when he, when he was being operated? Yeah, on when he was being operated yeah. on with his uh, shrapnel. I hadn't I seen a medical tricorder that. like that before, but I yeah. I we got a new we got a new tricorder. Maybe new medical tricorder. Um, but I also want to comment on uh, something that I, I I thought was cool from months ago when they announced that. Santiago Cabrera was joining this show was that we have a Latino regular cast member, which uh, Star Trek uh, really hasn't represented much in the past. We did have Belana Torres on Voyager, but she was always more Klingon than yeah. anything else. And right for all that Star Trek has had has, has always had a pretty strong level of diversity. There's been less diversity there, and uh, like almost to a somewhat embarrassing yeah. degree. Yeah. And this guy, what I like is he came in and he was like charismatic and controlled those scenes. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta, it's it's tough to stand up against an actor like Patrick yeah. Stewart. And I'll say this uh, for the actress playing Rafi, she might her scenes might not have been quite as innately strong as his, but I also thought she held her own with Absolutely, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of times actors say that like working with like a really great actor is that it makes you a better actor mm-hmm. because you. Uh, you you bounce off of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, waiting for sure mentioned that in Ready Room, and that that you have to like bring. You feel like you have to bring your A game when Patrick Stewart's down on you, and that he inspires you too. 
Um, I also remember like when um, uh, was it Ian McKellen was talking about having to green screen so much in uh, in Lord of the Rings movies that need to have somebody to bounce off of. Yeah, and and I feel like Patrick Stewart has to be one of the coolest ones to do that with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also why in the other Star franchise, Mark Hamill said that he uh, had some frustrating moments on The Empire Strikes Back because a lot of that movie is just him talking to a Muppet in a trash can. <laughs> and, and he was kind of like the only like actor-actor like on, on screen. So he kind of had to carry all those scenes himself. It sounds rough. I won't lie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, let's move on past uh, Chris Rios and uh, onto the vineyard. Where Picard has to say goodbye to his chateau, as well as Laris and Zaban. And number one, he's not bringing his dog. Yeah. Uh, we, why, did, who leaves the dog behind? Did we even he's see He's not going to leave behind, he's going to have him put to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to take it out back and... Set that phaser to kill. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even see the dog, though. Like, uh, that is a little bit of a weird Well, omission. can you bring an animal? I guess Data had a cat, right? Like, you, you can bring an animal on a starship like, voyage, I think. But you probably don't want to necessarily do it on one you know is going to be real. Yeah, that yeah. you know is, is, is might be your last and uh, I wonder if there's any chance, because this scene goes from a conversational scene to an action scene, mm-hmm. that they didn't want to have the dog around because they thought they would either have to have the dog attack and, and be yeah. a cliched attack, <laughs> or clearly get hurt because those guys probably would have killed it in one second. They also said that this dog actually wasn't a very good actor because Patrick oh. <laughs> Patrick Stewart insisted on using an actual rescue pit bull uh-huh. that probably didn't have like the best actor training. Right. <laughs> so that might have been part of it Maybe. too. He wasn't method. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this the, when he was talking about them before the sudden action sequence kicks in, he said a line that was kind of one of the key lines, I think, in the early trailers and teasers where he's like, I really tried to make this, what, a home or make M- this Make a this, work. He, make he, this he, work. I really tried to make this work. Which I love that line. I loved it when I heard it. But yeah, like, Picard doesn't belong on the Chateau. That's why when he was a young man, he went off to Starfleet, despite his his father's wishes. That's why in Star Trek First Contact, he says that he prefers to think of that ship as home. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not at home uh, on the vineyard. He's at home when he's out uh, exploring space and kicking ass to make the universe a better place. He's always got one eye on the stars, I think, is what the housekeeper, mm-hmm. whose name I forget, says. Uh, yeah. Laris. Laris, yeah. yeah or, uh, to, to, to borrow the uh, sea-based version of this from The Simpsons, uh, what was the uh, marital status to the sea <laughs> for the sea captain? <laughs> um, yes. His, 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 Picard's marital status is to the stars. Yep. <laughs> As it is for Kirk, of course. And if um, you want to see a live-action version of that character played by Willem Dafoe, go watch The Lighthouse. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's a good and uh, trippy-ass flip. flick. <laughs> I like it. Um, but what is also good is this action scene we yes. get when the Chateau is raided with Zabon and Loras dropping into Tal Shiar mode. In like get in one, one second. Yeah, yeah. just... Bam, bam, bam. Even even Picard gets in a couple. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think we're probably going to say the same thing, Father. Go ahead. He's not so he's not so physically adept that he also doesn't get like shoved. Yeah, to the, he gets shoved to the ground. Yeah, yeah. He ain't as spry as he used nah, to be. Ain't no spring chicken. And then those guys are just like weapons yeah. drawn. <laughs> um, yeah, one of them grabs the wine bottle, I think, and hides behind the door and just 
pink, and then grabs the gun. Yeah, and one of the, they also, I think, wrest a knife from one of them. Mm-hmm. And there's apparently like a like a phaser pistol or something that's under one of Picard's tables. Yeah, he just for, you, you, you think never he know. knew about that that they, they have some Tal Shiar weapons. <laughs> I, I, think, I think when you invite Romulans, especially ex Tal Shiar, uh-huh. into your home, you expect that. Yeah, uh, fair enough. And they they this kind is of a planted, slightly more outlawish part they, Picard. Well, they kind of planted seeds for it last week when we saw that she was using the uh, the illegal scanning technology. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, she she hasn't... Just like Chris Rios, who still has some of the Starfleet in him, she still has some of the Tal Shiar in her. Right. Uh, anyway, super cool scene. I mean, those actors are not particularly old, but they're, like, middle age, and it was just... It was cool to see them they go They don't from, look like action heroes. Right. They, they went that, from house... The, the head of the house to badasses. Mm-hmm. We, we've compared them to Alfred from Batman before, right. but it's kind of like uh, sometimes in, in the comics in, in recent years, uh, sometimes Alfred has to bust out the shotgun, right? Or he, or though like he's former SAS or whatever, mm-hmm. and yeah, and he drops he drops the hammer. <laughs> um, and uh, d- during this during this fight, we have uh, Agnes Durati show back up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, that, know, that raises we, suspicions. Yeah, I don't know if we want to like dive too much into this, but uh, a friend of mine mentioned this, and you said that you've uh, heard a little t- some murmurs about this online. It was kind of a timely arrival. Yeah. She had just ins- talked to Commodore yeah. O. You right. know. She insists it, on going, and we didn't see that conversation with O, so we don't know what they talk about. She right. says that O was questioning her and said that Picard was going to go off world to look. For the sister they know is out there. And she does but, tell Picard that she gave up most everything. Uh, which they already knew because he went to Starfleet and asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, so if she, if she is like some kind of double agent or something like that, she's, uh, she's definitely mingling a lot of truth in, yeah. presumably, with her lies. That's what the best um, liars do. Yeah, I, I, I kind of hope she isn't. Like, I, that might be too tropey. She too. seems likable. Yeah. yeah, she seems likable. Um, She's good at the techno babble. Uh, right. Yeah, you got to be a pro at that when you're the the, the leading oh, scientist of on synthetics. Surely Jordy had the toughest job. Lavar <laughs> Burton yeah. probably had more techno babble than anyone ever in. Track. Yeah, when they figured out he was good at that, they're like, "Okay, so we're moving, we're kicking <laughs> we're, you off the bridge. We're putting you in the engineering room. We're riding that horse, baby." <laughs> yeah. We're gonna phase the tachyon pulses. We're gonna <laughs> um, but, invert polarity. Yeah. Uh, Rafi does even also explicitly say, like, "Hey, we, I haven't had time to give her to vet her with security clearance stuff or whatever." So they did as much. They made points. Uh, they made a point that she is not carefully vetted. Mm-hmm. So I think there must be something to it, even if it's a, a red herring. I think they're they're doing something with it. What do well, you guys think about Commodore O's shades? It was weird to see sunglasses in Star Trek, and it's even weird to on a Vulcan <laughs> because yeah. we know we know from uh, from past Star Trek that Vulcans have an inner eyelid, uh, and yeah. they even I think, I think that goes back to Operation Annihilate in the original series. Yeah, but then in Enterprise, uh, we see Archer offer a pair of sunglasses to the Vulcan character to Paul, and she's like, "No, like I don't need those. I have inner eyelids." So. It might have been that she was trying to be like a little incognito. She didn't want anyone to like recognize her as like, oh, that's that Commodore who's head of Starfleet security. Or she might have had like cool super secret spy sunglasses. <laughs> right. It, it, it gives that vibe of like an FBI agent, if right. nothing else. Sunglasses do exist in the 24th century, by the way, because we do see them in Star Trek Voyager. Did Picard wear sunglasses when he drove a dune buggy? Those were safety glasses, not sunglasses. All right. 
I thought there was something on there. <laughs> also, Data, which doesn't really make sense because he has, like, robot eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just for the look. Moving past all that, though, we get this interrogation with a captured Zotvash operative. Yep. Yep. And the cool way that they shot this was intercutting it along with what was going on on the, the Borg cube. So... Uh, let's talk about those sequences a little bit and how they tie together. And uh, whenever we, we switch over from Picard to the Borg Cube, I like to sing a little Soji on the Borg Cube. Whack. <laughs> Boo. Boo. It's like smoking in the boys' room. Boo. I kind of liked it. Okay. <laughs> our our uh, listeners should give me a, a comment and let me know if you like that or hate it. Because I'm going to keep doing it until people tell me to stop. Look, the really cool thing they could do is somebody who can like play a little guitar could just rock that out uh, and, and make it uh, make me a little more polished. It's not that you don't have a fine singing voice. Oh, that's too much work. But but I bet somebody... Let's, let's talk about the this Borg shit. Fathery. Let's talk anyway. about this Borg shit. All right, let's do it. Uh, we get Hugh back. Yes. To no fanfare. Interestingly, yeah. they introduce him. Well, they actually, they almost don't even introduce him. Sochi is talking to him. He's like the executive director of yeah, the he's, whole he's reclamation project? He's or the this director. Area? He, like, he's the director that they mentioned uh, last week when Sochi yeah. told Narek, oh, you'll need permission from the director to, you know, oversee our deborgifying. And, yeah. And he's like, no, actually, I won't. So I assume they were talking about Hugh. And uh, he had some interesting comments about the Romulans. He. I guess it signed up to work for, or I don't know, maybe like he was captured and this was like the only thing he could do. We don't, we don't really know. It's mysterious circumstances. The last time we saw him back on um, uh, TNG in the second part of Descent, yeah. he had been part of like a group of sort of rebel Borgs that had been like, uh, they'd gained an individual identity. They went they renegade with Data's evil brother, Lore. But, but like, there was a separate group, right? He was part of a group of, that was resisting Lore's well, influence. He was part of the original group that went with Lore. And then okay. He, then he renegated against Lore. Right. So it was and, a double renegade. And they made out that he was going to kind of take over the maybe that leadership position. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, this is kind of, like, maybe not an ideal. Like, it's not as quite as, uh, oh, uh, like, um, hopeful as I might have hoped for him. But, but he's doing big stuff. I mean, he is running this whole project. Um, he didn't like building utopian board society, though. <laughs> the the line of dialogue that I wanted to comment on was yep. when he said that most people treat the ex Borgs or ex Bs as, as they they call them in the show as either as property to be exploited or a hazard to be warehoused. And then he says, "Our Romulan hosts see us as both." Yeah, which um, sounded very Romulan, and I thought mm-hmm. that was like really, really cool. And we know that like Borg fear is like a thing in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, um, what, what do you think? Like, what do you think his motivation is right now? What do you think he's getting out of this or wants to do? Um, he's probably more concerned with the the Borg drones on the the ship that I guess that, are that they get some humane treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would explain why he's kind of close to Soji, and he seems to like he's advocating for her. He's he's going to get her in. To uh, to talk to somebody who's one of the uh, XBs, uh, you know, that's clearly a it would take his permission. Yeah, yeah. He like he complimented her for comforting that XB in his native language and saying, you know, that's so good that like you're like that considerate and you're doing that and and they kind of have a rapport as like two of the few non assholes on this cube full of a bunch of punk ass Romulans. Yeah, that are <laughs> just jerks. It seems. Yeah, like a lot of Romulans are. But that said, we also, I mean, there's, like, apparently, like, researchers from all over, like, that random chick in the previous episode who 
what said that oh, their talking, what's his name was hot. You're talking about Doctor Naashala Modestafi. Very nice, Fathery. <laughs> I knew I could. Get, I knew I could get that out of you again. I didn't know if you could pronounce it again. Uh, she seemed all right. Right. Yeah, but I was talking about like the Romulans are the ones being yeah. dicks. Yeah, maybe that guy giving like the safety rundown. Maybe he was kind of nice. But, yeah. Well, so but, why do you think they didn't say? Why do you think they did not hold out until a passing mention of his name that that, that it was Hugh? Like probably ten minutes after he'd appeared on screen, it kind of came out that he was Hugh. Um, why do you think they didn't make a point of it? I think there might have been a deleted scene that was supposed to introduce him in like episode one or two. I could see that. It, it does feel like a sort of weird omission. Like there's no. There's nothing to get out of being secretive about. That. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know it was Hugh until they called him Hugh. What? Like, I mean, I I knew that Hugh was on the show. It just didn't, for some reason, click to me. I mean, in the TNG, he's got half of his face covered for the most part. How many episodes of TNG were there? A uh, hundred and eighty something, I believe. Now, to be fair, he's only in two of those hundred eighty yeah, episodes. That's so a deep cut. It's a it's a deep cut. And I bet, you know, I bet you're right. I bet there was some exposition where she's like, you know, you're one of the more remarkable Borgs ever and probably, like, said some of the stuff about him. Like, you know, you were the first one to break from the collective. Mm-hmm. And they may have just decided, you know what, maybe there's a more dramatic time to have that come up later on. Uh, or maybe it just feels exposition-y the way it came out or something. But, yeah, I, th- it's, I think you're probably right. It's either a cut scene or they just... It's, maybe it's just not important yet. What you know? I thought was really cool was as soon as he started like talking and walking around, he felt like Hugh again. He did. Yeah. He had these sort of soft-spoken, sort of empathetic quality that defined him. Let's talk about Ramda, the ex-Borg that uh, we also meet in this episode. Yeah, in a, a little bit of a uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest room yeah. uh, with uh, some broken... Uh, they're, they're the the Romulans ex-Bs, ex-Borgs, that were the last people captured by this cube before it went offline? Yes. Is that right? Yeah, they were on a ship called the Shaynor. They were assimilated by this cube, and then whatever happened to it to knock it offline happened. Um, and Was that like Janeway like, hitting the off button or whatever? Because I haven't watched that episode yet, but you can spoil I, the basics. Uh, well, it could, it could tie into some of the stuff that happens in, in Voyager that affect the Borg. But, but speaking of Borg on Voyager... Uh, he says that the, as far as he knows, these are, these are the only Romulans ever assimilated by the Borg, mm-hmm. but we meet a Romulan Borg in Voyager season three. So, uh, really good episode where, uh, Chakotay meets a sort of a, a colony of ex-Borgs on them yeah. who seem to be doing a better job overall of integrating and with back with each other in society than the these geese. guys are. Yeah. And that's I don't a, that was a that's... good one. That's one for you to look forward to, Trent. I'm looking forward to it. Do you think it's, do you think that's just them being a little bit sloppy with continuity? Like, obviously I don't expect them to, to mention every episode. Uh, he, he put the modifier on there that I know of, so... Oh, he yeah. just didn't know about them. If, you, shouldn't sure. look, you shouldn't look more into it. I'll that was it. off in the Delta Quadrant, so... Yeah. Um, so, to be fair. But we get some uh, some Romulan soothsaying, I guess, from, from yes. Romda. She's kind of treated as like a fortune teller. Uh, d- does right. that work? What is special about Romda again? She was... I understand she was on the last ship. She's like a she, mythology expert? Yes. Or? She was an expert on, on Romulan mythology, even though she says not to call it mythology, because mm-hmm. that word doesn't exist in Romulan language, apparently. And Soji is on this quest to... Uh, Unite get, the, the XBs through some what, sort of mythological framework yes, or what, shared... What, what she calls a shared mythological framework. I'm not sure if I have a, a big grasp on, on this concept. So I'm hoping it's fleshed out a little bit more in episodes to come. There, there's moments like this here where I, I wish this, the show would 
take a... I, I, I appreciate it being slower paced than, like, the Kelvin movies or Discovery, but there's still some stuff here that, like, I wish could they, they could just let it breathe a little bit more and kind of mm-hmm. explain a little bit more, but... I, I feel like it's a sloppy... It, it is kind of sloppy, and it's... We know what it's going to end up as, I think. I think eventually this project is going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> the Borg are going to... Something is going to go bad with all of these... Borgs that are around, and so I, I guess we have to have some sort of, you know, way to get there. And I guess the way to get there is we're looking for a shared mythology for the well, export. I think or... that'll serve some other story purpose too. Like, I, you know, maybe maybe she is right, and that is ultimately how they'll get them out of it mm-hmm. as well. God, Lord knows, Hugh should have some ideas about getting people out of yeah. board mode. But I kind of like the idea. You know, it'd be sort of like. Well, you know, uh, they they are sort of lost and empty after having been borged, and by, by by reminding them of Romulan culture, maybe through the depth of their mythology, even though mm. they don't call it that, uh, that that would sort of unite them. Basically, it's almost a way of saying like, you know, can we use religion to mm-hmm. kind of bring you together? Could we, you know, if we if y'all said like some prayers or something? They don't. That's not how she puts it, but that'd be maybe the equivalent of it. Sure. The, and but but it also has some weird. You're right. There was soothsaying type thing going on because she had the equivalent of like tarot cards. Yeah. But like sort of Romulan tarot cards. And there's way to there's ways to explain it into in science fiction where her. She still had some Borg implants that were working that were giving her some type of, of readout or something or um, something else along those lines. The, well, the tarot cards, they call them uh, Pixmet, I think, and uh, Soji compares them to the uh, Mandela. Uh, Mandala. Mandala. Mandala, yeah, which I uh, jotted down what that means. Uh, Mandala is a geometric figure representing the universe in Hindu and Buddhist symbolism. That may be just like a clunky definition of it, but that was the basics that I saw. Uh, it kind of gives it like this cosmic weight, yeah. like, like she's seeing the secret of the universe through these little triangle well, cards. I've been wondering, since they introduced the Zatvash, the secret organization behind the Tal Shiar, that are apparently just terrified and hate uh, artificial life forms and synths and everything, and may have like wrecked the Romulan recovery effort just so that synths didn't, I don't know, become integrated in Romulan mm-hmm. society or something like that. It, it, it felt to me as if they might have had some weird glimpse of the future. They're like, they knew, yeah, if we bring in synths, they will destroy us. Well, yeah, it seems like they kind of had, they pulled the curtain back on that a little bit. She, the, was it Ramda? She knew about the Soji's sisters. She knew that one of them died. Mm-hmm. She said, are you the one who lives? And that's when we get introduced to this concept of the destroyer. Right, you're yeah. the Shiva. Yeah. The, 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 the sub... Seb Chanab, yeah, I, I think is what she said. Yep, and yeah, and she also threw in there like she I, said, "I know, I met you tomorrow." I, or I something. remember, I remember you from tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, which is like a little bit of like um, prophesizing or uh, or time pre- travel or mm-hmm. precognition. Yeah, this the way that they edit this. It reminds me of last week when we got the CSI Romulus. Yes, <laughs> interspliced. They, yeah, yeah to, I guess, like to to give it more energy. They they cut back and forth last week between Picard learning the Zotvash and getting just a big like exposition dump, but also like Laris doing some forensicy stuff in Dodge's apartment in Boston. And I, I actually thought that was a little confusing the first time I watched it. When when I rewatch it now, it doesn't bother me because I already know all yeah, that I know information. The I think this worked more effectively though. There, there's nothing here that is really confusing. 
And the big revelation, yeah, is that she ha- holds some sort of role in Romulan lore. Yeah. As a as somebody who will like bring about civilization as a Satan it, or or big bad figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, Antichrist and, or some some type of a and, or Gozer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the nerds out there who don't know about Jesus yeah. and Satan. <laughs> um, uh, right, so she she and Hugh learn about this at the same time as Picard and Zaban and, and Lars. So everyone's on the same page. Right. Even yeah. though we have like the Borg storyline, we have the Picard on Earth storyline. They haven't intersected yet. That's clearly what this season is going to build up to right. at some point. And... Uh, Picard, by the way, also does learn from Rafi where Maddox is. I don't know if we mentioned that, but he's off to uh, some kind of was it, what sounded like free. What was it? Free. Free, free cloud. Free cloud. I just thought that was the name of her vape shop, but it's, <laughs> it's where they're headed. So uh, that's pretty good. I, I think a free cloud opened up right next to my yeah, yeah. Well, Romulan with like big gauges behind the counter and. But yeah, so apparently Maddox is on on free cloud. Didn't they, uh, like last time goes? Of course, like, <laughs> like of course he'd be at that gambling establishment. <laughs> I assume gambling because the, when the name came up on her monitor, there was like a little animation of dice yeah. rolling. So I don't know if that's really indicative of it, but uh, if it's a casino and it's not like Ferengi Run, of course, yeah. then I don't want to see it. Was, was that <laughs> no like a, was that like a pop up ad on her web browser? <laughs> yeah. She's like trying to close it. And she- I thought I had ad block turned on. <laughs> she didn't renew. Now, didn't the Zat Vash, there's like some secret they learned 2,000 years ago, which is the reason they hate robots. Yeah, there's and, a, a horrible secret. So I, I'm assuming that the secret has to do with the destroyer myth or, or something like that is yeah, what sure. we're led to believe, I guess. Maybe they, like, when, they created some type of... Uh, evil synthetic race that was going to destroy the galaxy or yeah, something. I, I, or maybe I, something actually, like, yeah, maybe they did create something and it nearly brought the Empire down or yeah. something. None of the stuff sounds like what I particularly would want to see. In, prophecy? Yeah. yeah. Fantasy and, prophecy is not, doesn't have a great place in Star Trek. And yeah. even, like, getting together with, like, this ragtag crew on kind of an outlaw smuggler ship. I'm, I'm guessing it's involved in some type of crime since it's an off-the-books ship. It does. It feels too much like the like the other Star franchise, yeah. especially if we're going to go to a, a casino planet yeah. in an upcoming episode. Father, you uh, you surmised that possibly uh, Captain Rios uh, provides the uh, was it uh, snake uh, snake leaf or what was the yeah thing? I, we don't to, know uh, we don't know his relationship to, to Rafi. Rafi. Mm-hmm. They clearly know each other enough to, that he like talks about like I don't get on her bad side and stuff. And I don't I don't know how I feel about like someone who if they, if she has like a serious problem with drugs and she lives like on Earth, which is supposed to be utopia and in, in the the Star Trek future, and she's got like a drug runner. Bringing her like, he's, dragon she, leaf? That, she's that's got weird to me. Picard bringing her wine. Like, she's clearly an alcoholic. And then <laughs> yeah. Picard's, I got some wine for you. Give me a shit. I'm assuming that he didn't know about <laughs> those those demons that <laughs> she, I, I she would struggled hope not. with. Yeah, she did say she felt, she felt humiliation and rage. So mm-hmm. it's like, she's got some serious demons going on. It does sound like, like, I don't know, Picard didn't even, like, raise an eyebrow when she starts vaping. Uh, so he didn't seem too put off by it. But she mentioned that, like, it would, like, it induced some paranoia in her. So, you know, it may be one of those things that's more or less, like a pretty low-level drug. It's just that she's been doing it for 14 years mm-hmm. and, 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 like, leaning into it. <laughs> now, the last we see of Soji in this episode is uh, she has a conversation with her hologram mom, who we can assume at this point is probably fake. Yes. There's a mystery there that they set up in the first episode with Dodge. 
We don't know anything about that, so whoever is communicating with her has some type of control over her. That will be revealed in the future, I would what think. What if it's freaking Data? Uh, or it could be Maddox. We yeah. don't know. I don't mm. think we have enough to really speculate on. Yeah. Um, I guess it could be Agnes Gerardi, since she knows about... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you said that right after you said we don't have enough to speculate. <laughs> well, the thing is, they stop us some Star Trek nerds from speculating. <laughs> the, the thought Get just occurred to that. me. Yeah. But uh, we get some, I guess, a little bit more sexy time with her and Narek. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and he says, like, uh, it he clearly... He the, the L word. Yeah, yeah, he pulls out the full-on manipulation and says he might be falling in love yeah. with So her. do y'all believe him, or do y'all think he's being, like, a shifty Romulan bastard? Oh, shifty Romulan bastard, I think. But I think it could potentially develop into something more. I don't know. Right now, we haven't seen any particular redeeming qualities of him. He's just seemed like a kind of duplicitous guy because of the con- behind-the-scenes conversations. It would be more interesting if he, like, did come to actually care about her... But they have not even yeah. indicated yeah. one second if, of that. If they gave him some conflict and not made him just like a total like black and white straight up villain, yeah. yeah. Um, but he he's curious how she knows about the the Shane uh, the the Romulan ship that was assimilated. Um, she wasn't supposed to know that. She doesn't know how she knows that. So she has like knowledge that's either like unlocked uh, when something happened with Ramda or something's being like sent to her so she's getting communications well, from someone even Hugh was saying he was surprised that, that yeah. she knew about some yes. certain things that he couldn't get access is to is that true when, when she starts talking about all of this so yeah now we also see Narek and Lieutenant Rizzo if that's her real name um, but aka the uh, another spy Romulan yeah. spy yeah. within Starfleet there was a and his sister there was a Muppet named Rizzo that was the rat yeah. And, that's right, yeah. Right, and Rizzo is also a chick in Greece. Lucy Lawless played her on yeah. Broadway. She's the she's the, like the tough talking. Yeah, chick, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. But here she's a Romulan disguised <laughs> as a Starfleet security officer, um, and Narek's sister, who they're Ugh. really close. Yeah, they're very friendly. Definitely. Which, I'd like Dave, to go back and watch our previous episode in which I brought this up. Yes, Dave called this last <laughs> week. And y'all were like, you were like, you crazy perv? I think that the Lannisters were brought up in that episode, yeah. and I'm definitely getting that kind of a vibe. For I sure. Don't know. I don't know they if it's intentional. It. They're, they're like, she's like sniffing him. Yeah. She's like, you smell intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> if she doesn't say that, but she says I can something, smell her on you. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's yeah she's just, almost she like, a, like it's exhilarating or something she, like no, that. No, she, she was like kind of jealous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird, but in any events, yeah, uh, it, it kind of like if you kind of want to bring up a little bit of like ancient Roman decadence and duplicity and yeah. incestuous like uh, information gathering and stuff like that. It sort of feels ancient Romy, which obviously is something they've always wanted to do with. Romulans. I think it's a little too icky, and they should probably back <laughs> away from this. But yeah, it's it's a little bit odd right now. I don't know if there's anything more to it than making them a little bit icky and making sure we understand they're kind of. The icky villains. But we get to see her in her Romulan form. Yeah, she, she actually was there, right? Because yes. she was on Earth, and then she said, I'll go, you know, whatever. And so she's actually on the Borg reclamation site now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that our our dear friend Brian really wants them to have transwarp beaming. Like <laughs> Spock Prime was able to do in Star Trek 09 when he's like, Oh, Scotty, you figured out how to like beam from one planet to another. And they beam Kirk and Scotty onto the... 
Enterprise to explain how they got back on the ship. Yeah. And the those Cullen movies don't really, like, bother explaining stuff yeah. like that. When, in fact, so, that was probably just a hasty plot point to make <laughs> to get them back on the ship. Yeah. But that could be how Rizzo gets from Earth to the Borg cube. Brian could have gotten his know. wish. Um, off the, off the, they haven't meant, said it by name, but maybe he's right. People do kind of fly around a little bit, and I'm glad that they're off Earth, maybe, because it is jarring, because it's like, Picard is in France, and then he's immediately in San Francisco, and then he's immediately back at his chateau in France, and I get, on like a, a, a fundamental level, yes, there are transporters that mm-hmm. do that, but it is still just a little bit like, oh, okay, now we're, we're back here, now we're over here, now we're at Okinawa, uh, Okinawa. or whatever, so, but. I love that, though, like. That's one of my my favorite things to think about in in the Star Trek universe is just being able to do sure, that and yeah. like explore Earth like like me with my brain that was forged in the twentieth century like I wouldn't even need to like go off to the stars like Picard to go like explore the galaxy I would be content just on Earth just like going uh, all around the planet with a transporter I'm just gonna I go to be, Antarctica right yeah, now yeah or like I'm gonna go to New Orleans and eat some Creole food at a uh, Cisco's restaurant yeah. man. Did they when he went to uh, Starfleet in the first episode? Uh, did, is that the one where you saw him walk out of like a thing that looked like it was a sort of mass transport thing? That was where, the second episode. No second one, but but, the, but clearly people were just coming and going pretty regularly mm. in that. Um, and I, we have, we've seen we have seen some beamins and stuff in it, but um, but yeah, I, I guess what you're get what you're saying is like maybe a few more just to remind us this is completely casual. Yeah, that they are just yeah. I, I get it's not a. a complaint it's just a little bit like okay that's right so yeah right. that's there because now, we do not have transporters in our life it's yeah. can throw your brain it's like in game of thrones like by the later seasons they're just zipping all over the place <laughs> yeah. and they're in different sides of the world but in any of well they clearly had this transporter technology it, also. of course yeah um, of course <laughs> but uh that is Pretty much everything up until like the very end scene where y'all want to talk about like the those final moments on board yeah. the, the La Serena. What the scene that made me tear up? Yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't. I, that's, someone's cutting onions in here. I don't know what's going on. I, I didn't beautiful. have this. I didn't have this reaction that y'all had. So I'm a little envious. Yeah, but. sorry, Father. I know you've had you 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 can have the emotional reaction to to Trek as well. But this, of course, is the scene where Picard steps on uh, the crew. Essentially, forms. You see everybody taking their seat. Uh, what do we have? Four or five people in there? Captain Captain Rios, Picard, Dr. Gerardi, Rafi. Yeah, Rafi comes back. I missed four. Okay, four people. Um, they, they all kind of take their seats. I think Picard maybe looks... Does he look to uh, Captain Rios to like to get the okay? To give the okay? Yeah, I think so. I think he kind of... He's like, I know it's your ship. And he had studiously avoided taking the captain's seat earlier. Yeah, I saw that earlier. Where it was yeah. like defying his instinct not to not yep. to take the, the captain's yeah. chair. But here, clearly with the old, with a glimmer in his eye and a bit of sort of boyishness, he does the engage. Yeah, and you're like, oh shit, oh shit, it's about to happen, and then he does it, and yeah. you're like, yeah. And then and you then, get the, the Jerry Goldsmith score. Mm-hmm. From, yeah, they do an orchestrated version of the uh, the classic next-gen theme, aka the motion picture theme. Yes. Uh, as the ship uh, goes into war. Oh, yep. let's just real quick talk about the ship. Um, uh, did, uh, Father, Father, you said earlier that it was kind of nondescript or whatever. It, kinda, it looks cool, it, but... It looks like a ship from like a video game. Like I, I could see this being like Mass Effect or Destiny yeah. or something like that. But it's not particularly like, memorable. Like 
If I asked you to like, okay, draw like the outline of the shape of the ship. Do you think you could draw something that would kind of match up? It's no. got two spiky things. <laughs> it looks like uh, either the ship's a little bit on the old uh, Buck Rogers show, but it looks more like the Vulcan warp sled in uh, the motion picture. <laughs> it does seem a little warp sleddy, I guess. But uh, I, I wasn't particularly crazy about it. But I also don't hate it. It doesn't look like something from Star Trek. It certainly doesn't look like something from Starfleet, but it shouldn't. Because... It looks more like something from Star Trek than I would say the Klingon ships did in. Disco uh, season one. Yeah. Uh, well, some of those were worse than others, but um, but um, th- you know, I, mean, I think also fine. video game ships are, have also just gotten casually very good. Any random ship kind of looks cool in a video game these days. Um, so I, I don't know that uh, like the fact that a video game could reproduce it easily or that it could have been a ship in Mass Effect necessarily means it's a problem. Uh, you know, not every cool smuggler has to have a super cool ship. But, you know, it is going to be the ship of the show. So yeah. it's just, like, one of the things I like in Star Trek is seeing, like, the, the Federation ships. Yeah. I really like all those design aesthetics. And I like seeing, like, the evolution of those designs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's hard for me to get excited about uh, this particular ship. But yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Maybe if they had had, like, something that was a little bit more of a... The, the clear sort of... Not the full warp nacelles you would expect on a heavy cruiser, but like something that kind of clearly looked like their scaled back, you know, smuggler yeah. ship version of it. Something that used a little bit of the iconography of, of, of ships. Like something that had like a recognizable deflector or like right. impulse yeah. engines. I could see that. I, uh, I kind of agree with you on In that. In fact, this would work better for me if they establish it's actually like an alien ship that he's acquired. It's not something that was like manufactured uh, by Earth or by the I think Goku was like it's a, like an Orion Spice Runner ship or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but anyway, a, uh, a a heartfelt moment at the end, uh, even if uh, it didn't bring out the waterworks in you. Yeah, and a good a good cap to Act 1 of Picard, yeah. I think. We're like a, he's... a third of the way into the show now, but yeah. this well, is the, like the first act of the 10-episode yeah. season. Well, you know, off-camera we were talking about how... Uh, in the original trailers where, you know, you see, or like the ones that showed uh, Riker and Troy and yeah. uh, Seven of Nine, I kind of thought all those meetings with them would occur on Earth and like happen in episode one and two or something yeah. like that. I'm very fine with the pacing, but I guess that means that these will be occurring off-world somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or they come back to Earth, or those are more flashbacks that we're going to get. Uh, yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, if they're living on some, you know, moon somewhere, or... Beta yeah, Z. Yeah, yeah, or if, uh, yeah, Seven of Nine is going to maybe end up being on this uh, station that they're going to. What's it called? Free Cloud? Free... Is it a station? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. I don't know that they've really indicated it to us, but I'm going to say it is. We know <laughs> next week. I, I try to avoid the trailers, but uh-huh. from what little I do know, that they're, they're going to run into some uh, Romulan survivors... And I think we're going to pick up uh, Elf Boy, uh, yeah, Elnor. I was yeah. wondering when we were going to get him. So I, I thought it was going to be in this soon. episode. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw a split second of what looked like an old-style Bird of Prey from TOS. Well, and... we know that's going to be in the show eventually. Right, mm. but I think it may be next episode. And that's cool. I'm like... Mm. Yeah, the, the balance <laughs> of terror shit. Yeah. Does anyone else have uh, any other comments on this before we uh, go into the Easter eggs? I think that covers it for me. I have a quick question about the uh, Hobus uh, supernova thing. Uh, and I don't know if this has been explained or what. Picard basically led a... We, we know the Romulans like kind of revere him, right? Um, and so he must have pulled off something. But he apparently... The mission was abandoned uh, based on the introduction of this. 
And and I was also thinking per the Star Trek Kelvin uh, first the first Kelvin movie to the 2009 Star Trek Spock uh, like Nero's wife and shit died and that's why he wants revenge. So clearly like and that actually still did happen, right? That separate timeline does form. And if that happens then that means there's at least some partial failure too, right? Does that sound right? Yeah, like there were Romulans that died and there were Romulans that survived. Mm-hmm. Okay, and enough Romulans for him to be hero. We'll probably yeah. still see some more stuff through fl- through flashbacks. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't know all the details yet. They're uh, going to stretch a lot of that stuff out. It seems, and I'm okay with them slowly revealing this stuff. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't mind if like every episode maybe contributed a little bit more to the, this unknown backstory. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually kind of a clever idea if you're going to do something 20 years later. I like that shit has happened in this mm-hmm. this 20 year gap for sure, um, and I like them you know taking their time to uh, fill us in on it. Um, next week, I think we will get more answers because we're going to meet some more Romulans, so mm-hmm. we'll kind of need an explanation for them. Right. Uh, that's the that's the best way I can answer those questions is to say just wait till next week i'm I'm okay with that Uh, shall we move on to the easter eggs then sure so these are all the little easter eggs that i noticed in this episode if there's anything i didn't pick up on be sure to let me know but uh, i'll go ahead and start off my list starting with in that opening conversation in the flashback between uh raffi and picard I guess, like, in the destruction of the Utopia Planitia fleet yard, uh, she mentions ships from the Beta Antares shipyard and the Eridani shipyard. Those have actually been referenced on some of the de- dedication plaques that we've seen on ships oh, in previous Star Trek. We also see Vasquez Rock again, which kind of bothered me because they actually label this as Vasquez Rock, even though they CGI it to look like a different location. Uh, it has the trademark rocks that you've seen in the Gorn episode and many other Trek episodes. Yeah, this is where they were watching the proto-Vulcans and who watches the Watchers. It's where uh, Chakotay has an adventure with a little Kazon boy played by Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, Kirk fought the Gorn at Cestus Three on Vasquez Rock. Uh, 2009 Star Trek, this is where Spock beamed down to Vulcan. Yep. It shows up a lot. And now they literally have used it, but they CG'd some extra stuff in. Obviously, that stuff was kicked up during World War Three. Yes, naturally, in the past history. <laughs> the opera music that Doctor Gerardi is listening to is actually from Discovery. This is what Doctor Colber and uh, Stamets listened to. Oh. The, is this is one that Stamets had to be dragged to. Like he's like, I don't do opera. Uh, the Casellian Opera. Does anybody know what the Casellian Opera is? Nope. Alright. For all we know, it could be a made-up Star Trek well, opera. No, we do know it. That's what uh, Colbert and Stamets listened to on a date they went on, and then... Yeah, when, but, like, is it a real opera that exists in our real no, world it's, time? No, Cassellians are, like, aliens. Ah, uh, okay. That sounded like an Italian name, too. <laughs> but, no, it was, like, it was like a made-up opera that Jeff Russo composed okay. for, for Star Trek Discovery, and That's then a, it got reused here. That was a deep cut. I feel like, Father, you might have been one of the few people to catch that <laughs> one. You, there is a lot of opera in Star Trek. Like, there's mm-hmm. Klingon opera... Picard Cardassian opera. Picard like listening to opera. Uh, the the Doctor and Voyager might even get into opera at some point. Thank God Disco had the uh, had at least a little bit of hip hop in there. Yep. <laughs> you got to counterbalance the acres and acres of opera. Uh, what else we got? Chris Rio said that the ship he served on as first officer was the Ibn Majid. Right, uh, and and I looked this up to see what the deal was. Probably named after. 
Ahmed Ibn Majid, an Arabian navigator and cartographer born in the 1430s. He became famous in the West as the navigator who helped Vasco da Gama find his way from Africa to India. And by the way, uh, he also wrote poetry and prose and was known as the Lion of the Sea, much like cool. myself. <laughs> That's what we all call you. Or uh, basically is uh, an old earth explorer that yep. it would make sense for Starfleet to name a ship yeah. after. Yep. Uh, next up, when Raffi Musiker is researching Bruce Maddox, it seems I've tracked him down to Free Cloud. Uh, we see some text on her display that simply reads Gorn Egg. Right. This and is, we don't know if that's like a code name yeah. or something. This if it's is a two place. Gorn references back to back with mm-hmm. this week and last week calling out the Gorn hegemony. I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they are in space now. Yep. You know what else is in space? Gorn. <laughs> the Gorns. <laughs> the entire Gorn hegemony. Uh, then back aboard the La Serena when the emergency navigational hologram is going off in his Irish accent. He's listing off a lot of the feats that Captain Picard is known for and some of his big claims to fame. Uh, this includes Arbiter of Succession with the Klingons. Uh, see the episodes of Reunion and Redemption Parts 1 and 2, where Picard was brought in to help decide the next uh, Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. We also get Chief Contact with the Q Continuum, which... That's basically every adventure Picard had that <laughs> That's a very Q nice, was involved in. It's a very kind way of putting, uh, he's the guy that Q most likes to fuck with. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he was also called the Savior of the Borg. This could refer to Best of Both Worlds. Well, no, I guess like Picard didn't do much. His crew saved the world. This is, first yeah. contact. this is First, first Contact. This is First Contact. Yeah. And just uh, simply being the captain of both Enterprises D and E, as well as the work he did with Spock. In the episodes Unification Parts 1 and 2. Right, he's like, he knew, he knew the legendary Spock, for God's sake, or something like yeah, that. He mind-melded with Spock and Sarek. Yeah. Like, this was a, this was a cool little Easter egg, and like his, sort of the, the big things that Picard would be known for. I like, I like that sense of history, and you know, it is a reminder, this is something we talked about in the things we want to see, is that sense of his, his history and his accomplishments, and I thought that was a cool, cool little nod to it. And then the last thing I'm gonna point out, which uh, you have to be pretty eagle-eyed to, to catch. I didn't catch it the first time I was viewing this. But we see Soji's little badge on her chest light up green. As we learned in the last episode, uh, if you're working on the Romulan Reclamation site and your badge turns green, it means you better run. There's still dangerous board technology. This happens when she's having the conversation with Ramda and things get a little weird and trippy and i believe ronda she's like holding ronda's hand yeah. or vice versa but that's kind of like they have a moment of like hey we're, we're kind of close and like tell me what's happening so she was touching her though yeah i don't know if it's from the physical contact or something else going on i don't know if it's something some board technology activating and like it could ronda i don't know if it was like some board technology activating and soji hugh <laughs> it could have yeah. been it could have been the there is another guy in the corner playing with a rubik's cube who, who <laughs> yeah he, a he, space rubik's cube. yeah space rubik's cube but we see a reaction to him when this is going on right so uh, or we, we see a reaction from him rather so uh who knows but uh they they definitely did that intentionally that was that was put in there with some purpose yeah, there was it was so much kind of going on that it was very easy to miss. Uh, I definitely missed it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my theory is that some sort of uh, in holding her, 
that some sort of a micro uh, incision happened or whatever, or like injection of uh, Borg nanites uh, got into her. I didn't. I didn't. Ca- I didn't get the vibe that it had to do with like them touching hands, but uh, I, I don't know the way that they, they, they. I like to go with a ridiculous theory so that if it pays off, I get <laughs> I win big. Uh, it very very rarely happens. Okay. <laughs> But I was right about the incestuous brother and sister, so I feel like I'm on a roll. <laughs> uh, Trent says that eventually we're going to see things go to shit on this Borg cube. I hope so. so. I think so. I, it's they've, they've said so much like, oh, these Borgs are completely harmless. And so like, I feel like I've heard that at more than once. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, and it's going to be awesome when it does, I think. <laughs> I've mentioned before, but the Borg Cube in general is one of my favorite sort of eerie Trek environments because it's like walking around in a hornet's nest mm-hmm. where you're like invisible all the time up until you're not. Yeah. And then like I really like that sort of push-pull of creepiness. So um, yeah, the, the waking up, the stirring up the nest uh, sequence, I'm, I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if you saw anything that I didn't see... By all means, let me know. You can comment on Facebook or comment on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter. And if you just have any thoughts about this episode in general, let me know. And we might share those next week. Because right now we're going to talk about some of the feedback we got on last week's episode. So, uh, Dave, what do we have incoming in subspace transmissions? All right, from Facebook. Uh, Michael Wallman says, Both episodes are the most aesthetically pleasing track. Episode 2 really pushed the story more on the Romulan side. I enjoy thinking of the Borg Cube as a backline location still in a war zone. That's interesting. The speech they gave to new researchers on the Cube that places can still be dangerous is similar to a large base in a war zone now. I hope we'll find out. I hope we'll find there are still layers of Starfleet not infiltrated. I would agree with that, too. Yeah. I don't want them... I don't want... You know, uh, in the previous episode, what was it that um, Akiva Goldsman said in the Ready Room that he wanted a Starfleet that's complex but not compromised? Yeah. And I thought that was a that was a way I like to to frame it where Starfleet yeah is not broken mm-hmm. but they've got problems uh, and of course uh, longtime listener and commenter Adam B Owen says uh, love it it really feels like TNG in tone and pacing the details are different but I really feel like I'm back can't wait to see this unfold I want to know if Adam uh, cried at the end of this episode <laughs> yeah well he can let us know yeah all right over on Twitter land. Captain Pikachu, <laughs> nice <laughs> props. Yeah, uh, asks when is that Laris and Zaban spinoff show happening? Hey, Ooh, I like it. You know what? I'd be down for it at the very least. Some short tracks or yeah. something like that. Since I hate short tracks, these could be some <laughs> ones I actually don't hate. Uh, Trek on the Tube says not the best, but not the worst episode of Star Trek. Truly hope the story being set up is more intelligent than what it seems it's going to be. Great performances, well directed. Uh, he says, oh, and Narek is disgusting. He looks dirty and gross. <laughs> Where have the Mr. Darcy's gone? <laughs> That's a little judgmental. He's, he's a little unkempt. His hair is could, a little... You could do with a shower, he's maybe. rakish, yeah. I feel, but uh, <laughs> hardcore. Uh, Larry Nemechek uh, says, actually, Narek looks goofy to me. I know he's a plant and a bad guy, but the last thing he seems is hot. Uh, I'd be curious. To, this, is, this is something we should put up as a poll on Tech yeah. Track. Let's, let's rate Narek's hotness. Uh, uh, we, we can rate his sister's hotness too. Uh, Trek YouTuber Jesse Gender says Laris might easily be my favorite new character on the show. I see a trend here. Yep. I adore her so much. I uh, also thought the angry admiral admiral scene is great. Uh, overall, I thought the ep was good. If it had bogged down in setting up all the plot threads and exposition going forward, here's the key part though: 
Also, Narek is a hottie. Oh, so we've what got is it, two to one Voices now. of Descent. Yeah. <laughs> from, from two of my favorite Star Trek personalities, uh, Larry and Jesse. Yeah. Uh, I, I love you both, so it's interesting to see this conflict arise. Uh, let's see. Trekkie Rob says, I thought Laris really shined in this episode. Fast becoming my favorite character. She's witty, resourceful, caring, and intelligent. What's not to like? One quick thing about all the Laris love we get mm-hmm. is uh, Trek fan Linda Butler has started the Cheeky Feckers Challenge on <laughs> YouTube where you can do your best Laris impersonation and try to say Cheeky Feckers as uh, Irish as Laris says it. So if you want to participate in that and you can see my video uh, on my Twitter account at TXTrek, but uh, you just hashtag it hashtag cheeky fucker challenge with F-E-C-K-E-R. Naturally. It's, it's fecker, not the uh, the other word. Right. This is clearly a worthy thing. <laughs> uh, Rebecca Lockley says, very disappointed that the crew name drop skipped Crusher and Troy. And we talked about that. I don't know if we mentioned yeah. it on the podcast, but we at least mentioned it off air. And uh, I think that is a fair point. Uh, now, that was Zaban saying that, and uh, maybe he's a sexist asshole. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but it was a slightly weird omission. So yeah, I, I for sure hope we'll, we'll, we'll continue to see more on those characters. Um, uh, Boat Trek says, I like Commodore. Oh, she seems nice. Yeah, our, our <laughs> good friend PJ. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you might be on to something there, buddy. Uh-huh. Prepto Dismal. Says, uh, controversial, hashtag Star Trek Picard, opinion, with what she know, uh, with what she knows up to this point, Admiral Clancy was 100% correct in saying what she said to Picard. His request was stupid. A ship, a crew, and the vaguest mission in the history of history. She was right to shut him down. Uh, that kinda, I agree. That yeah. kind of does go with what Akiba Goldsman was saying about Star Trek being complex and wanting to, or Starfleet, wanting to give them some depth so that they weren't just... Oh. The heavy. I, I totally agree with her with her uh, approach there. I can definitely sympathize with how she reacted. And it was fair to see Picard, uh, who can have an ego, get knocked down a peg. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, old folks sometimes lean into sometimes their weaknesses. So Final Frontier says that boiling rage look from Picard as he descended the escalator following his meeting with the Commodore. He is not to be messed with. My goodness, Patrick Stewart is a gift. We gotta agree with. Yep, absolutely. Gaius Taylor says, boring. <laughs> uh, so apparently the pacing is not for everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Ruben R. Diaz says, uh, terrible dialogue, exposition bombs left and right, dreadful pacing, lazy writing across the board, unnecessary lens flare, odd directing. Star Trek Firefly started off average and is now spiraling towards complete mediocrity. All right. Mm-hmm. Didn't hit. And that's all we've got for this time. Yep. So that will do it for the end is the beginning but next week we will be discussing episode four, Absolute Candor, directed by Jonathan Frakes himself. Ooh. So we get Jay Frakes and P. Stu collaborating again for the first time in a while. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. That's gotta, does that mean for sure that he shows up? No. Okay. Because it's going to be careful. He's just directing an episode. He might. He's going to be in it. Well, he's going to be in an episode, and he's going to direct an episode. I don't, think, an... I don't think they're going to... It would actually make more sense for it not to be the same episode. It's probably true. But I'm putting all my money on it because I like the long con. Okay. Well, we'll see. I don't really see... I don't really... See... No, they would have put him in the trailer. It would have been in the trailer, which I didn't watch, but I would have heard if it was in there. So I'm going to say nay to that. All right. We'll find out next week who's right and who is yeah. dead. 
(laughs) (laughs) But check us out then. We'll be back Sunday, hopefully by 8 p.m. Central Time. And uh, you can also catch me on the Boat Trek YouTube channel uh, discussing that fourth episode with my friend PJ. So be sure to uh, subscribe to Boat Trek and you won't miss me showing up over there. Nice. Until next time, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.